Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Well, that was awesome, awesome singing, everybody, and... uh... Thanks for, for being here, man. It's just great to be in the back of the room and seeing people worship, and uh, it's just a, an awesome thing. So excited to be back uh, in this space uh, and for the privilege of this space. Uh, as I get started today, I want to uh, say thank you, first of all. Last week was a great week at Hope. We had our first family reunion, and uh, yeah, we planned to be outside, and we got rained out, but no big deal. We just used our gym, and we had a great time uh, Um, And uh, I want to say thank you to Kim Johnson, who helped me uh, put that together. And then she had, uh, she was brave enough uh, and courageous enough to tell her story last week. And I just really appreciate her sharing that with us, because I know uh, it was a huge encouragement and blessing uh, to all of us. So we'll do another family reunion at the end of this month, so you could be looking out for that. That's going to be a a fun thing. Um, uh, Wanted to just remind you, too, we have an app. Uh, Our church has an app, and we switched app providers recently. So you should go to your app store and find what's called the Church Center app and download it, and then you can look up Hope Church through that. Uh, There's everything that we do is going to be on that app. There's a button that says Events, and uh, that's the best and easiest way, that and cthope.com, to stay up to date with everything that's happening at Hope Church. And there's a lot going on right now. There was a bunch of things that happened this week. A bunch of us guys got out yesterday to play some softball in like the 90 degree weather. That was awesome. Uh, We'll do that again too. So uh, definitely, definitely uh, cool stuff. So as I start today, I would like to ask everybody a question. And this question is not one that you're going to ask your neighbor. You're just going to You're going to keep it to yourself, all right? I'm just going to ask a big general question, and you're just going to think about it for the time that you're here today. And it's this. Why are you here? Why are you here? Love the honesty. And that's what I want us to be. I want us to be honest with ourselves this morning. I think as we start this series that you are going to eventually be able, hopefully, it's my, it's my prayer that you'll be able to answer that question. As I said, we're starting this new series called Supreme, and there's several reasons why I'm excited about it. First of all, uh, it's going to be a little bit different than the series we typically do around here, which are, tend to be very topical uh, and very, very kind of like relevant to everyday situations. Now, we are going to take some time for the next month or so to study a book of the Bible. This book of the Bible is called Colossians. And so I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, you could bring it with you, and that might be helpful. If you're watching online, take out your Bible now and follow along. This is one of those times where I think it would be really good. Now, again, we'll have verses on the screen, uh, and uh, I know a lot of you have it on your phones or iPads or whatever, so that's fine, too. But we're going to be looking uh, at this book of the Bible. And uh, another reason why I'm excited about that is I think wherever you are on your journey, because we are all on a journey, um, wherever you are on a journey, I think this is going to be helpful for you. If you've been coming to church, you've been following Jesus for 20, 30, or more years... 
I think this is going to help deepen your faith. I really do. Um, in the same vein, if you're here and you're just not even sure about church, about God, maybe you would call yourself a skeptic, I actually think this is going to be a helpful series for you as well. Um, certainly from one level is I think you're going to find out a little bit about why church, uh, Hope Church believes what it believes, why we do the things that we do. So I'm really excited uh, for that. And finally, I'm excited because I'm hopeful that at the end of uh, this, that you are going to take some next steps. Each week, we're going we're gonna to give you some suggestions for some next steps that you can take on your own spiritual journey. Again, wherever you are. And so uh, those are the reasons why I am excited about that. So, so here we go. We're going to jump into this series called Supreme. Are you ready? That sounded awful. Are you ready? Okay. All right, so let's start it out with a little fun. Uh, I figured I would pull some things that are supreme. And so behind me, these pictures are going to uh, fly up one at a time. So let's just go to our first one, Tom. We have the first thing that's supreme. Someone said to me before, you're going to show that before church, before people eat? I'm like, yep. Pizza Hut, supreme pizza. All that yummy goodness, the meat. Look at the meat, the onions, the peppers, the mushrooms. Okay, that's the, that's the Pizza Hut Supreme Pizza. All right, next slide. We've got the what? The Taco Supreme. Now, this is a little, you know, listen, it's good either way, uh, but apparently what makes it supreme is they put the little diced tomatoes and the sour cream on it. Um, whatever. I think they could go a little bit better than that, but this is the Taco Bell Taco Supreme. All right, what, what else is supreme? Let's go for the next one. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I, I know she passed away this week, but what does she represent? The Supreme Court, right? Uh, that's the highest level of court in our nation. Okay, let's go to the next one. The Supremes. Are they the ones that, my baby love? Is that that? I don't know. Anyway, late 60s, early 70s, uh, this, was, uh, this was a big uh, band. And now, so the, the last one is for all of my nerds out there. Now, I did have to check this out and cross-reference and things, but yes, Darth Vader's role technically was Supreme Commander. And I've asked my children to call me that, Supreme <laughs> Commander. It's a great, it's a great thing. It's awesome. The definition of supreme, we got to start somewhere, and this is what it is, it's on the screen. Supreme means the highest rank or authority. The highest in degree or quality. Ultimate. Final. It actually comes from a Latin word called super, which, again, a lot of you are familiar with, and that means simply above everything. Supreme, above everything. Now, why are we calling this message uh, supreme? Well, you know, like some of you who bring your kids to church and they go to their classes, which, by the way, we're hoping to open up some of our kids' ministry more in the next month or so, but they go to their class, right, and you get back in the car and you're going home from church and you say, kids, what'd you learn today? And you're hoping for something substantial, 
But sometimes you just get the answer, God, Jesus, right? Well, today, you can go home and you say, hey, what'd you learn today? And I'm telling you, you can say, Jesus, because the book of Colossians is all about Jesus. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking and setting this up for us so that, again, we're all starting on the same page. So Colossians is in the Bible, and, and there's, I'm going to have a screen up here. This is how the Bible is laid out. Again, for those of you who aren't familiar, I just want to do a quick review here so we could all see. We have the Bible is a collection of books. It's divided up between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So it's a collection of how many books? Does anybody know? Or you can read 66 books. The Old Testament has 39. So do the quick math. How many in the New Testament? 27. And so this is where we are today in the New Testament. And if you look under letters, you will see the book of Colossians right over here on the right side. So again, I'm going to leave that up for just a second for you to get a, get a sense of how that works out. So there are four chapters in the book of Colossians for a total of 95 verses. And check it out. Jesus is mentioned or referred to 72 times out of 95 verses. That's pretty amazing. The author often uses the word Christ, because again, some of us might not know, yeah, why are there so many names for Jesus? Well, listen, Christ is just the Greek name for Jesus. That's all that is, okay? So often that's what the author is using. Now, we said the author is Paul. So if anybody ever asks you, like, when a book of the New Testament was written, or, um, who wrote it, listen, 50% of the time, if you just say Paul, you're going to be right. So this is one of those books. So he is writing. It's what's called a uh, prison epistle. We can take that slide down now, which means he literally wrote it from prison. It's one of four books, at least, um, maybe five, that he wrote from prison. He was probably imprisoned in Rome at the time that he was writing this book to this church that was in Colossae. Okay? Um, so Colossae is a very interesting place. It was known for wool production. And uh, since they had some quarries with, like, black rocks, as I understand, they were able to dye this wool. So that's kind of what they were known for. But here's the thing about Colossae. It wasn't much. It was a very small town. There wasn't a whole lot going on there. There was a very diverse group of people, which we'll talk about in a minute, but this is filled with a different kind of culture. It's very eclectic. So there was Jews that lived there. There was Romans that lived there. Um, there were Greeks that lived there. Um, it, but it's, it's kind of like a nothing town. Nothing really significant ever happened there. What is interesting is that there were some large, big, very important towns around, about 100 miles west, and I think we have a map here, was a city called Ephesus. Ephesus was huge. Ephesus was a port city. So there was a lot of traffic. Let's compare it to New York City. Okay? That was Ephesus in the day. Lots of stuff going on there. Always busy. Always something going on. Now, Paul did write a book to Ephesus. We call it Ephesians, right? And that was also a book that he wrote while he was in prison. Um, and so there, there is that, um, but what I found interesting is like, you know, it's like, it's like Paul, the greatest writer, the greatest apostle that we know, one of the greatest 
uh, people for the cause of Christianity and, and the, for the cause of Christ, or what we might call the gospel, the good news, as it spread throughout the world. Paul was probably the biggest single instrumental person in that. He decides to write this letter to a very small, kind of nothing going on town in Colossae. It's like, it's, like one of, like, it's like him writing to East Hampton. I mean, we're known as the bell town, right? But other than that, there's really not much going on. I mean, why wouldn't he be writing to another large city around? No, he's writing to this little small town. So we ask ourselves, why is why? What's going on here? And we're going to get into that a little bit today. Thanks for that. So I want to start because I want to overlay two what I would call primary themes in this book. And I want to read the first one. We're going to read Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. This is key verse number 1. It says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. There's our word. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. Listen. We live in a world that's fighting for our attention all the time, do we not? We live in a world that is fighting for our attention, and we live in a world that is very, very easy to be distracted. Now, it's different for everybody, but my guess is there are things that you get caught up in in your life. And you start to go down that rabbit hole, and you start to pursue this thing or that thing. And all of a sudden, things just feel messy. And our world does not help. In fact, our world is a major contributor. Our culture is a major contributor to this. We live in a world where everything becomes just like one big jumbled mess. And again, whether that's personal things like commitments or work or these bigger things like ideologies and philosophies and religions of today, and there's so many different things and there's so much information, how do you know what to do? And that's what we, that's what we end up with, like, what, how do we know what's right? Why am I doing this thing? And everything is so hard because everyone's trying to get at us, our attention, right? And so we find ourselves diverted all the time, where we feel like we have to respond to this thing. We have to figure it out. And the truth is, and I didn't come up with this phrase, somebody much wiser than me did, but we give power what we pay attention to, do we not? We give power what we pay attention to. And all of a sudden, this is what makes life confusing. This is what maybe even makes God confusing. And it's hard to know, like I said, who to believe anymore or what to believe. And we become distracted. And so we have this book of Colossians written by this giant named Paul. And it's basically an encouragement. I like the word admonishment better because admonishment is just a little bit stronger than encourage. Admonishment has the sense of, you know what, listen, listen, we're going to talk about something here, just, again, very gently, very nicely, but he's admonishing this church in Colossae. In an ancient world, I think that feels very much 
like our world and our culture. I want to say this. The Bible, again, if we look at this book here, this book was not written to us, right? But it was written for us. I'm going to say that again because that might feel weird for some of you. This book was not written to us. This was written to a very specific group of people. It was written to a very specific church. There may be some very specific things that were going on that were very, um, very specific to that time, that culture, that place, and those people. But there are things that we can take from it. And Colossians 1.18 gives us a clue to the very first theme of this whole book, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Paul is saying that Jesus has to be above all. Jesus has to have the highest rank and authority in your life. Jesus ought to have the ultimate and final decision. Jesus is preeminent. That's a word we'll see. Jesus is supreme. That's theme number one. If you're taking notes, write that down. Theme number one in Colossians, Jesus is supreme. You say, Tom, you just blew by all that. Well, listen, that's the whole point of the series. We're going to dig in as we go through. I'm just giving you the high level for a second. So Paul is writing this really profound letter to this group of people so that their walk with Jesus would be strengthened, so that it would be more steadfast, more grounded, to help them to be able to discern among all the noise in all the distraction. And there's a second theme that I want to show you, and it's kind of hinges on the first theme. So they're, they're sort of connected. And we're going to find it in our next key verse, Colossians 1.28. By the way, let me just tell you, for those of you who are kind of like perfectionists and whatever, we're not going verse by verse and not even necessarily chapter by chapter. We're going to hit Colossians in a methodical way, but we might skip around from here to there, okay? It's not going to be so in line. But Colossians 1.28 is our next key passage. Let's read it together. It's on the screen. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing, there's that word, and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Some of your Bibles might use the word complete, but we're going to use the word mature, Maturity. Let's just take this really quick. Some of you, I know uh, at least one family, maybe two, have had a baby recently, like within the last month. That little baby can't do much on its own right now. It's probably laying down somewhere because it can't sit, right? It's spitting up all over itself. It's crying when it gets hungry, right? At a certain point, though, as, as it's fed, it begins to grow and mature a little bit, and then they become toddlers, we love that stage, right? Because now they can run, not only walk, but they can run, right? We lose them. They begin to be able to communicate with you. It might still be in some form of screaming, but hey, at least they have some words. Use your words, right? That's what we say. So then they mature a little bit more, and then they become teenagers. And I love this. This is where my kids are. And now we can have really cool conversations, they still scream at you. <laughs> that doesn't go away. Right? But then they begin to, they, they, like their brains, we they week to college, right? That's, that's kind of like this prime in our life where our, our brains still actually aren't fully developed, but we're getting there. We're a lot closer, right? 
to the point where we become mature. See, when we, when we are older like that, we're not drinking milk. We're not, you know, reliant on mom and dad for everything anymore. And this is the point of this theme. Theme number two throughout Colossians is maturity in Christ. Theme number one, Jesus is supreme. Theme number two, maturity in Christ. Paul is saying, I want you to become more complete in your spiritual journey, wherever you are. You want to move from left to right. You got to take steps. You got to get off the milk. Actually, in the another part of the Bible, says you had to start eating the meat, right? So that is the second major theme of this book. So here's my big idea. Here's the big takeaway. Again, if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the big idea for today. Maturity in Christ begins as we accept the preeminence of Christ. That's the starting point. Maturity in Christ begins when we accept the supremacy of of Jesus in our life. And through this time, we're going to look at what is it about Jesus that's so supreme? How do we get there? And as we go on this journey together, as we travel down, we're you know, getting on the highway right now. We're kind of ramping up, right? We are going to make several exits along the way. We're going to stop and we're going to park and we're going to talk about things. But I think we're going to see and be able to explore the richness of this book together. So, let me jump in. Why is the book of Colossians written? Well, here's the thing. The church was facing some issues. All churches face issues. I don't know if you know that. But here is a church facing some very specific issues. As I said, Colossae was a community, a very eclectic community of people. All different kinds of Races, all different kinds of religions were sitting in this bedroom community. Um, Well-to-do community, um, various ideologies, thoughts, philosophies were prevalent. And so one of the things I think was happening is what we would call syncretism. That's a hard word. That's a fun word to say. Syncretism, right? Right? So let me explain what that means because I know that's probably new to a lot of people. Secretism is just literally, it's, it's trying to take this ideology or this philosophy or this religion and kind of blend them together so they kind of become in sync. That's like a very basic definition of what syncretism was. And this is what was beginning to happen. Paul had some eyes to say, hmm, I don't know where I, if I like where that's going. We've got kind of this, and we're kind of dabbling in this, and we've kind of got this going on and this. One of the things was actually called, uh, that most scholars would, would, would say was going on at the time, is something called Gnosticism. That's spelled G-N-O-S, Gnosticism. And Gnosticism, if, if you get to know anything about uh, etymology of the word, but it really, Gnosis means to know. So there was this, there was this emphasis on knowing. And so these, again, these different, like, ideologies uh, would come along that it was very important to just have this spiritual experience of knowing. And so what was going on, and I think it will become evident if you read Colossians, that people were trying to kind of get to this higher sense. And so they start, they start um, trying to know things. They have these spiritual experiences, 
And some were giving a lot of credence to angels and things that were divine, right? There were a lot of gods in that day as well. And so it was just kind of this, again, maybe a little bit different for us in our culture, but you could see the similarities, right? Because we have so many ideologies in our world right now. So many different kinds of religion, so many different kinds of philosophy, and we are very careful not to offend, and I understand that, but all of a sudden, sometimes we could just sync them all up, and we're not really sure where to go with that, what to do with that. We're not really sure what to believe. And so that's what was happening. Also, something, uh, traditional Judaism was starting to make a comeback. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, if you remember the Jewish people in the Old Testament, we showed you that graph before, there were a whole lot of laws that Jewish people had to live by, right? Hundreds of them. And so there was kind of this rebirth to the old and people that, things that had passed away since Jesus had died, right? That weren't in effect anymore. But this church and churches in the area are saying, you know, no, this is something we should bring back. And so you'll see that as you read through the book, you'll see a couple of those things. And this wasn't just Jewish people either. This was people of all walks of life. Again, these are learned people trying to find a new way to kind of fit everything together. So it was kind of a mess. It's kind of confusing. And the point of bringing this all up is just to give us an idea. It's not to go to explore what Gnosticism and everything is about. It's not, that's not my point today. That's level five stuff. We're like level two today, okay? But the point was, we are supposed to have some kind of anchor, and Paul was worried that people were drifting from the anchor. And so as only a wise spiritual leader can do, he was admonishing the people in Colossae. Isn't it great when we have people in our lives? I know this happened to me even over the last year with all of the craziness going on and all of the different decisions that had to be made. This was a tough time to be a leader, let me say that. But there were times where I had to listen to people I respected, maybe other pastors that were older and wiser than me, to kind of get their perspectives that I could take that in and say, hmm, that makes sense to me. It helped shape my perspective, right? Maybe I get people in your life like that that help shape your perspective. So Paul was doing that with this church. And again, I feel like we can take this and say, we're kind of in the same boat. I think there's a lot of things that we can relate to in our day. Our culture loves to amalgamate ideas. I'm using big words today, right? Wow. Amalgamate, like combine, right? We like to combine this ideology with this spiritual practice, with this spin and with that spin. And what are we left with? In a lot of ways, we're left with less hope than more hope. So what does Paul do? He writes this letter to bring them back to the true center, to the one who is supreme, to the one who supersedes all of it. He writes it to the Christian. He writes it to the Jew. He writes it to the Gentile. He writes it to the skeptic. He writes it to the syncretist. And this is where we find ourselves today as we look at Colossians. Paul is argues, arguing for the supremacy of Jesus, for the supremacy of Christ.
And in the middle of chapter 1, we find this passage that will just knock all the theological socks off. It's considered the main, biggest piece of Christological uh, wording and uh, theory in the Bible. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And before I read it, because we're going to read it, this was written, as I understand, as a poem or like a song which is very unique, right? He's writing this letter, and all of a sudden, he starts writing a song. You say, why would he do that? Well, I don't know. But I do know this. I'm going to take the obvious thing. I've read a lot of different scholars who would talk about, you know, various ways this was written. And again, we don't have the exact translation, so it doesn't read exactly the same. But he's doing it for effect. He's doing it to highlight a certain kind of scripture, just like we do in our culture today, right? Just as we sing songs that are deeply meaningful, music impacts us in a way like nothing else. And so he stops, and he takes this pause, and he writes this song to these people. And it's powerful. So it's here to stand out. Colossians chapter 1, let's read together, verses 15 through 20. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before everything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme, there's our word again, over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood. On the cross. Wow. You get one single passage of scripture that defines the person and work of Jesus. That's what Christology means. The, what, what is the person and work of Jesus all about? This is the number one highlighted passage in all of the Bible. And there's a lot there. As I said, we're going to get into some of that as we go through but it's amazing to me to see all of that's there. And that's how I want to end today. I want to kind of pull out just four things. Four things that I think Paul is doing as he's setting the stage to argue for why Jesus is supreme. Why Jesus needs to be the true center. To bring it back to the orthodox of the faith. Here we go. Number one. He is not just divine, Paul argues. He is deity. Don't move past that too quickly. He is not just divine. He is deity. There are several things that are divine. Angels are divine. Are they God? Does anybody know what deity means? Fully God, 
fully man, the deity of Christ. This is one of the most orthodox pieces of our faith. He's saying you have to stop before everything else and argue for the deity of Christ. Because here's the thing. Uh, lots of other religions, lots of other ideologies would argue, if they argue Jesus existed at all, which is some debate, right? They would mostly say he was a good man. He was a wise teacher. In a lot of ways, he was a prophet. But God, mm, there's only one God. Um, or there are many gods, depending on what you believe. No, this was, this was a big deal. Paul says, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. That word image means carbon copy, an exact duplicate. Meaning when Jesus came to earth as a baby, he was fully God. As he walked on this earth, he was fully God, yet fully man at the same time. And this is critical to understanding what Christianity is all about. This is critical to understanding what you believe, people in Colossae, people in East Hampton. Be careful what you do as you try to blend that with other things. He's a good human, but not God. A wise religious teacher, but not supreme. He's a way to live right in the world, but not the only way to heaven. But Paul makes the argument that he is supreme because he's actually God himself. That's argument number one. He makes a second argument. He says this. He is supreme over all creation. Verse 16. He's supreme over all creation. And again, here's where people would parse out some differentialities, right? Jesus was a created being just like us. He was a good man. Again, again, they're kind of cousins, these first two ideas. But the truth is, Paul is painting this picture that Jesus was not only not created, he actually was part of creating the world. He was fully God in the sense that he was creating the world. And that was essential, essential to the gospel. He was not a created being. He was not just man. He is creating the world. And so Paul is affirming to the church that he was the creator of the universe, making him supreme over literally everything. There's a third thing. He's supreme in the church. He's supreme in the church. He calls him in verse 18, the head. Remember Ephesus? that book of Ephesians. Well, if you read the book of Ephesians, there's a significant piece of Ephesians that talks about the church, and it calls it what? Anybody know? The, the body, right? Actually, my, my life group is doing this right now. He's talking about, we're talking about spiritual gifts, right? And how different people have different roles and different functions, right? And some might be a leg, or some might be a foot, or some might be a hand, or some might, you know, even be the heart. But what does he say in, when he comes to Colossae? He says, Jesus, though, is the head. In him, through him, by him, and for him, all things exist, including the church. And finally, and maybe most importantly, he's saying, the resurrection punctuates all of it. 
the resurrection makes Jesus supreme over everything, above all. Because if he weren't God, it would be impossible. This was the biggest, most significant event that happened in the world. It is the very basis of Christianity. It is the basis of what we believe. That Jesus is risen. He, he, he was born fully God, fully man. He lived his life. He died on the cross. And that he raised again from the dead. Fully submitting that he is supreme over everything. <laughs> this is Colossians. So let's review real quick. Theme number one, what? Jesus is supreme. Theme number two in all this book, what? Maturity in Christ, which leads us to our big idea that maturity in Christ begins as we accept the preeminence or the superiority or the supremacy So I hate to leave you hanging, but I'm going to leave you hanging right there. And here's what I want you to do this week, if you'll oblige me. Read Colossians this week. It's not very hard. 95 verses, four chapters. Read it through. Read it for yourself. See what God wants to pull out for you. Again, if you're, if you're a skeptic, read it through. Write down your questions. Write down your thoughts. Write down your wrestles. If you're a Christian, read it through. Write down your thoughts. Write down your wrestles. This is big stuff. This is big stuff. But what I want to take away is the very same thing that Paul was saying to the church. If we get nothing else, remember, Jesus is supreme, and we've got to bring it back to the true center. Let's pray. And I just want you to take a moment in silence in your heart. Everyone just take a moment right where they are, just in their seats. Close your eyes if you can. Just be in the moment. I talked to you about action steps in the beginning. And I'm just going to say this, there may be an action step that you want to take today. I'm going to focus on one thing, and it's the very reason why we exist. And it's that question, why are you here? Why am I here? And I know there's various answers to that question throughout the room. But here's, here's the answer for some of you. Some of you are searching for something. You can't put your finger on it. You're not sure what that means. You're on this journey or you're on the fence. You, but there's something missing. You've been distracted for too long. There's someone in here who's feeling that. I know that because people tell me this all the time. I like to call it if there's some kind of hole inside of us, this God-shaped hole in all of us. Because I would say that the only thing it can be filled by is Jesus. 
And so maybe your next step is to say, Jesus, I'm going to acknowledge you. I don't know all of what that means yet, but I know what I'm doing on my own is not working. I acknowledge you, Jesus. I want you to be a part of my life. I'm starting to believe in what you've done for me, and I want to be a part of that. So if that's in your heart today, I just want you to just pray that in your own words, in your own words. There's not a certain phrase you have to say. There's not a certain thing you have to do. But it's a turning away from ourselves and our sin and a turning toward Jesus. That's what we call repentance. And Jesus is so willing in his mercy to forgive us. Lord Jesus, I pray for every person in this room today. I pray that as we go on this journey for the next several weeks, God, that you would show us what steps we need to take. That you would also show us in the areas of our lives that you aren't, we have not given you the authority. That you're not reigning over all, that you're not supreme. And so God, we ask this in the name of the all-supreme one, Jesus. Amen.